Please turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, I'll read from verse 19. Jesus speaking here. And he says, There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores and it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receives thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house, for I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment." Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This morning we're going to consider the rich man and Lazarus. Apparently, most Europeans believe in heaven, but they don't believe in hell. Why do you think that is? That they believe, most people believe in heaven, but not hell. Your guess is as good as mine, but I'm guessing it's because heaven's a nice place whereas hell isn't a nice place. The ungodly will readily accept and believe in a heaven of their vain imaginations, not the heaven of the Bible, not the heaven where God is seated on his throne and the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God the Father, not that heaven, not a heaven where God is surrounded by a multitude, that worship him. But they do believe in a heaven where they will go one day perhaps and uh, be with friends and family 
and continue to indulge in the things that they held dear when they were in the world. And they will do that. They will believe in that heaven having denied God. And some of them will have no doubt blasphemed the name of God during this lifetime. Even so, they'll believe in a heaven of sorts. Ironically, ungodly people who reject the reality of hell are much more likely to talk about hell than Christians are in that they might tell someone to go to hell. Whereas meek and mild Christians, including preachers, barely mention the subject, even though one might have thought that hell would have a place in any conversation or sermon which speaks about things to come. The second coming of Jesus, the eternal state. You would have thought there was a place for hell in such conversations. But the truth is, a lot of Christians, including preachers, are scared stiff of upsetting people, offending them. Even though hell is not a nice place, Christians should not avoid talking about it. We don't gain any pleasure talking about hell, but we should talk about hell. We need to be like J.C. Ryle who said God knows that I never speak of hell without myself experiencing pain and sorrow. I would gladly offer the salvation of the gospel to the very chief of sinners. I would willingly say to the vilest and most degenerate of mankind on his deathbed repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ And thou shalt be saved. But God forbid that I should ever keep back from mortal man that scripture reveals a hell as well as heaven. That men may be lost as well as saved. When you read the New Testament you'll see that the Lord Jesus Christ most certainly did not avoid talking about hell and about hell fire. For example, in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 28, Jesus said to his disciples, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Him being God, he's able to destroy both body and soul in hell. And in Matthew chapter 23 and verse 33, Jesus said to the scribes and the Pharisees, Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. That's what Jesus called them, serpents, vipers. How can ye escape the damnation of hell? And in today's passage, Luke chapter 16, verse 19 through to 31 Jesus tells us about two men. One of them was rich, he died and he went to hell, where according to verse 23, he was in torments. That tells us straight away that hell is a real place and it is a place of extreme suffering. The other man was a beggar and he died as well. 
However, verse 22 informs us that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom, which is a Jewish designation for heaven. Some of what, have said, some of what is said in this passage ought not to be taken literally. For example, look at verse 24. The rich man here, he says, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger and uh, in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So the rich man's got a tongue, Lazarus has got a finger in that verse. Although the rich man's soul was in hell, his body was in the ground. Verse 22 tells us that he was buried. As for the rich man's request in verse 24 for the beggar who was in heaven to dip the tip of his finger in water to cool his tongue, the beggar would have also had a disembodied soul. Therefore, it is likely that the passage is a parable which nevertheless has very various important lessons about hell and about heaven. First of all, we can consider the rich man. Look at verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. Verse 19 gives us an idea of just how rich that rich man was. For example, the reason that the colour of his clothes is given is not so that we might know what his taste in fashion is or was, rather it is given as an indication of just how rich he was. Purple was the colour of kings and nobles. Add to that that he, li- he lived in a life of luxury and it is reasonable to assume that he was probably very wealthy in this world. But for all that, he left the world with nothing. And more to the point, when he left this world with nothing, he went to hell. Therefore, you need not imagine that earthly riches equate to heavenly blessings. None of you should be naive enough to think that if someone is wealthy and lives in a mansion, that he therefore has a mansion in heaven being prepared for him by the Lord Jesus Christ. That clearly is not always the case. Also, be very careful not to go to the other extreme by thinking that having earthly riches is a sinful is sinful and places you out of bounds to heaven. Take Abraham, for example. In verse 22, we see that heaven is referred to as Abraham's bosom. Therefore, Abraham is most certainly in heaven. However, when Abraham was in the world, he was extremely wealthy. Genesis chapter 13 and verse 2 tells us that he was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 25, Abraham said to the rich man, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest 
thy good things. Here we see what the problem with the rich man was. It was not so much his wealth, but his love of riches. When he was in the world, he had, as far as he was concerned, received the highest good. He had not been heavenly minded like Abraham, who when he was in the world, confessed himself to be a stranger and a pilgrim. That rich man, he received all the best things when he was in the world, that as far as he could see it. An indication of whether or not you will be carried by the angels to heaven when you die can be seen not in how rich you are, but in where you consider your treasures to be laid up. For example, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So, regardless of how much money you may have, what possessions you have, are you someone who can honestly say that you are laying up treasures in heaven? And is Jesus your greatest treasure? That's what really matters. That's what counts. Not what you have now. Concerning Jesus, are you able to shoot from the heart and say, Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon the earth that I desire beside thee. We can consider the beggar. Let's have a look at verses 20 through to 22. Verse 20. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate, full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. These verses present a pitiful picture of a beggar slumped at the gate of the rich man's opulence, opulent residence. You would have to wonder how many times a day the rich man passed by the beggar, probably looking at him with disdain, if indeed he looked at him at all. Yet verse 21 tells us that the, de- the beggar desired to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. I can only imagine that something in the way of crumbs or leftovers was tossed by the rich man or his servant in the direction of the beggar, or else you'd have to ask why was he laid at that particular gate. There wouldn't have been much point if he was getting not even a few crumbs to eat. I don't know. Even so, his situation was dire. He had ulcers and there were no doctors or nurses to attend to him, just street dogs. It would seem that those unclean animals were the only friends and carers that the beggar had. 
He had nothing in this world. And if he did anything commendable or worthy of mention, we do not see it in this passage. In verse 22, we're told that when the rich man died, he was buried. And no doubt it was a grand affair with various dignitaries in attendance, including, I would imagine, the religious leaders. Note that there is no mention of the beggar being buried. Perhaps he was simply thrown onto a rubbish heap or thrown into a fire, <coughs> a fire, and it would be hard to imagine any re- religious leaders in attendance, although he was the one who was taken up to heaven by the angels. And therefore, it was the beggar who was blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The beggar and not the rich man. Also note that unlike the rich man, the beggar's name is mentioned by Jesus. His name is Lazarus. It is important, or rather names are important, they're most certainly very important in the Bible. We're not given the name of the rich man And yet the beggar's name is given as Lazarus. Let me give you some idea of how important names are in the Bible. John chapter 11. When the Lord Jesus Christ raised up a man who had been dead in the grave or in the tomb for four days. What is it that Jesus said to him? Lazarus, come forth. He called him by name. It was a different Lazarus. He called him by name. Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus rose from the dead. And according to the vision of the Apostle John, a vision of the final judgment, when Jesus comes again, it is written in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15, Whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Also, there was a time when 70 disciples of Jesus reported back to him saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. However, Jesus said to them, Rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. When Jesus was crucified, one of the two thieves that were crucified with him turned to him and said, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today, Shalt thou be with me in paradise? Who was that man who received the promise of heaven from Jesus? He was a convicted thief who was being punished for his crime. Even so, he received the promise of paradise. One might well say that whatever that thief's name was, it was written in the book of life. So much for Lazarus, the beggar, 
So much for the crucified thief. You can know for certain that your name is written indelibly in heaven, written in the Lamb's book of life, and that when you die you will be carried by the angels to heaven if, as a repentant sinner, you are trusting in Jesus for salvation and for everlasting life. You could be a nobody in this world and yet if your name is known and written in heaven you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We can consider the primacy of the word of God looking at verses 24 through to 31. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, this is the rich man, have mercy on me and send send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now... He is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee thereafter, therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. The rich man, having had his request denied for Lazarus to be sent to him as a waiter to call his tongue with water, then asked Abraham to send Lazarus to his five brothers as a messenger. He wanted Lazarus to warn them about hell, so that they would repent. Again, his request was not granted. Instead, Abraham said, if they hear not Moses and the prophets, Moses and the prophets means the Old Testament scriptures, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. When you look at the attitude of people nowadays, it's no different. There are those who reject the Bible, the scriptures, and they say that they will only repent and believe in Jesus if he were to come down from heaven and show himself, despite the clear message of the Old Testament and the New. If Jesus was to walk through this door now, then someone in here who is stubbornly... um, refusing to acknowledge Jesus 
to bow down before him, to receive him as Lord and Saviour, to acknowledge his sins. If Jesus was to come through the door now, things would be very different. And that person would become a Christian. It doesn't work that way. That is not God's way of doing things. For example, in John's Gospel, towards the end of it, referring to the miracles that Jesus had performed, John said, these things are written, written in the Bible, that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. It's through reading the scriptures, hearing the word of God, that people come to faith in Jesus as repentant sinners. That doesn't mean to say that Jesus is not coming again. He most certainly is, but when he does come, it will be too late to repent and too late to believe in him. And that is because when Jesus comes again, he is coming in judgment. When that happens, all who have not trusted in him as repentant sinners will be cast into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Therefore, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Don't leave it for another day because today may well be your last day and then what? And then the judgment. Cry out to God for mercy and receive Jesus as your Saviour and your Lord. Amen. We'll close with hymn 148. Crown him with many crowns, the Lamb upon the throne, his throne. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. 148. Many crowns the Lamb upon his soul. Hark how the heavenly anthem drowns all music but its own. Awake my soul and sing Of him who died for thee And hail him as thy matchless king Through all eternity Crown him the Lord of life Who triumphed o'er the grave And rose victorious in the strife For those he came to save His glories now we sing Who died and rose on high Those wounds yet visible above In beauty glorify Angel in the sky 
can fully bear that sight The downward bends his burning eye At mystery so bright Crown him the Lord of peace Whose power a scepter sway From pole to pole that wars may cease And all be prayer and praise his reign alone, no end, and round his pierced feet, fair flowers of paradise extend their fragrance ever sweet. Lord of years, the potentate of time. Creator of the rolling spheres, ineffably sublime. All hail, Redeemer, hail, for thou hast died for me. Thy praise shall never, never fail throughout eternity. Oh, Father, Father, again we commit to you the folk who are suffering with ill health at the moment, not able to be here today, pray that you would minister to them, that your healing hands would be upon them, that you would comfort them, that you would strengthen them in your strength, that your grace would be sufficient for them. Pray for each one of us here, Lord, that we would take on board the, uh, the lessons of today, Pray, Lord, that each one of us would take very seriously the things that are written in the Scriptures and that we would act upon the things that we hear and read and ultimately that we would be trusting in Jesus, your dear Son, for forgiveness of sins and for everlasting life. Amen.